Welcome to North Star Big Book. My name is Carly Israel and I'm a recovered alcoholic. My sobriety date is January 27th, 1999. And I am so excited to share my love of the big book with you. If you would like to come on and be a guest and share in an episode, a part of the book that you love so other people can feel that light and that hope, please go on to carlyisrael.com and message me. I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm more than excited because this is my first podcast interview with two humans that are lovers of the book. Will you guys introduce yourself, ladies first? Yes, Carly. Uh, thanks for having us on. My name is Lee McGinnis, and uh, I am an alcoholic and an addict, and I'm calling in from Leesburg, Virginia. What's your I, sobriety date? January 1st, 2012. Oh, of course, a January 1st baby. Yay. Yeah. Mike? Hey, everybody. My name is Michael Lynn, and my sobriety date is January, again, January 10th, 2014, and I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We are all January babies. I'm so happy to have you. The reason why I'm having two guests today is because you guys host a podcast that I just got to interview on. One of our other great friends, Joel, was on it, and I'm so grateful to be connected with you, and I want our podcast listeners to know about your podcast. Tell us how we can listen to it and what it's called. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, the podcast is called The Daily Reflection Podcast, and we like to say it's it's daily messages of hope and inspiration through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Most people in recovery are familiar with that little book. It's got a, a passage, an inspirational passage from our literature and and a little uh, a quote or, or some, some piece of inspiration from that quote. And what we do is we interview members of the recovery community through the lens of that passage, and they end up sharing what that passage means to them and a little bit about their recovery program. And it's a daily podcast. There's uh, daily messages of hope delivered right through your podcast app. And I want to clarify something for our listeners. So I actually saw, I don't check the stats constantly because I, that makes me crazy, but North Star Big Book has over 42,000 downloads. So that's crazy pants. And when I look at the map of the world, we have people listening all over the universe. And what I want everyone to know, because the three of us were chatting before about how we're always getting in trouble on social media, talking about what we are doing, is none of us make money from this. We actually spend money to have the posting of it and, and recording. And we're doing this because we love being sober and we want to share the message with you guys. So I just want you to know that that is what we're doing. I'm not promoting somebody that's going to make money. These are awesome humans. I use your podcast sometimes in the morning just to, to, when I'm walking around and doing stuff to just be calm and listen. I sometimes listen to it at nighttime when I want to fall asleep and my brain is busy and I want to like listen to calm myself down and get a good message. So this is an awesome one. Subscribe. They have daily recordings. So it's very exciting. I appreciate that. Yeah. And it, it is service. It's, you know, we don't, we don't make money from it. We do it uh, out of, out of love for the recovery program and, and just in the hope that somebody's going to listen and hear something that maybe will help them improve. You just never know. It could be that one thing that one of us says that makes somebody's light turn on. And that is why I'm having you guys on because I want to know what you love about the book so our listeners can find that love that you have. So what page did you choose? So we chose page 124 after and why? much discussion, after much discussion yes. and uh, <laughs> argument because I don't know, how do you pick a page? That's Wait, just hard you just the entire book. Imagine a hundred of us writing a book together oh my i gosh. don't know how Miraculous. they did it. you guys had to pick one page to read on a podcast and they had to write an <laughs> entire book so why did you guys ultimately settle on 124 
Mike, why did we pick it? Yeah, well, I, I think one of the things that that Lee said, I think this was a quote that she mentioned. Actually, it might have been on the first meeting that we were on together, or it might have been the interview that she did on the podcast early on. Uh, but she mentioned that you know the past is one of her greatest assets, and that it just it stuck for me, and it it made me think of this page and. Um, you know, the, the person that, that mentions the quote about experience being the supreme value in life, um, that to me, it gives value, gives so much value in, into something that um, I felt so horribly about, which was my past and the things that I had done and the people that I hurt. Uh, so, yeah, it, it just really, it represents. Are there things in your past that you were initially like, I don't want to share, I'm embarrassed about that you've already seen come back in sobriety that you could be of service with? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I can think of several, like uh, I'm doing all the talking here. Maybe Lee, I'll let you go first. Well, you know, I mean so much, I was 48 years old when I got sober and I was, I, I drank and drugged from the time I was 13. So there wasn't much of value that I was doing out there. And there were a lot of things that I was doing, saying, participating in that were harmful, not just to myself, but to others. So today, you know, I, I say my experience is my equity. It's what I have oh, to offer. And I can sit across from another woman. To me, the most two, the two most healing words um, that can be spoken are me too. Mm. I, I did that. And there's pretty much nothing that I haven't done you know, out there. So to be able to sit across from someone who is in shame and in despair and dark and suicidal like I was when I first came in and to be able to give her a hug and look her in the eye and say, I did that. I did that too. And look at me now. Like, how powerful is that? Something I believe stronger than anything about this concept is every single one of us that's listening, that's in the program, every single one of us has a story that it can help one person that we can't help. And I tell people that you have something that I don't have because I haven't been through what you've been through and that I believe God or the universe or your power, or whatever you believe in is going to use that. I always say that God's the, like, the great repurposer, recycler, because God takes things that I want to throw away and hide and says, no, this is worthy of being shared. And like Lee said, to be able to look at someone in the eyes and say, you don't have to live like this anymore. And I've sat across from men and women who've given up their children because of their drug and alcohol abuse, and they didn't want to choose their children over what they were using at the time. And I've said to them, if you stay sober and do this work, you will be able to help people in a way that I could never, ever even come close. And so it's all about what are you willing to share and walk through? So let's do it together. Who's going to start reading? Mike's reading. Right. Oh, Mike. I'll Mike start. Mike. Henry Ford once made a wise remark to the effect that experience is the thing of supreme value in life, that that is true only if one is willing to turn the past to good account. Okay, pause. So I underlined this whole paragraph. And like you were just saying, I wrote on the side, converting liabilities into assets. I've never heard anyone say that before about, tell me what you said about equity. Just that what I thought was my biggest liability coming into AA, feeling like I had to kill myself because I threw my life away. How do you reconcile the fact that you drank and drugged and threw every opportunity away that you had? Um, I couldn't reconcile it. So to me, my past was something I needed to kill myself over. And then to work through this program and have it be the thing that I have to offer that will save another person's life is now my equity. Nothing matters more to me than that. It literally is. See, you, I see somebody standing on the edge of a bridge about to jump off. And we are the only people that can walk up to them, whether we know them or not, and say, I stood on this bridge. I know exactly what it's like to look down and to feel what you're feeling. There is no judgment. And I want you to know there's another way. That 
you don't need a degree for, you don't need a certain amount of sobriety for. If you've been on that bridge, you can say, I know what it's like. And I love that sentence that Mike just read because I circled that word if. That is true only if. Because just having that pass will not do anything for us unless we're willing to take it and make it of good use. So keep going. We grow by our willingness to face and rectify errors and convert them into assets. The alcoholic's past thus becomes the principal asset of the family and frequently it is the most, it is almost the only one. So I underlined, like double underlined to face and rectify errors and then on the side I wrote steps four through nine. That's where that happens. So that is why I wanna smash this concept that we don't need to work the inventory steps right away. How can I possibly function and survive without alcohol or drugs if I'm not willing to get rid of the things that are blocking me off? And that's why I need to take my sponsee right into the inventory process so we can get rid of that stuff. And then for the rest of our life, we can inventory the new stuff that comes up. Do you guys mm-hmm. have anything to say about that part? Well, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, like you mentioned, you, you want to get quickly into the inventory steps. Like how quick is that for, for sponsees that you work with? Amazing question. So this is a little bit controversial, but the founding members of Alcoholics Anonymous did it immediately. Bill and Dr. Bob worked the first nine steps day one. And with alcoholic number three, they did the same thing. And then they were out helping other alcoholics. So the way that we do it out of the book is we have like an hour, an hour and a half conversation with a new person or a person that is ready to do the steps. And we basically take them through the first three steps. I have it on this podcast in two episodes, part one and part two, how to take someone through the first three steps if you don't feel comfortable. And I basically jump around. I tell the person they don't need to read with me. They just need to listen and follow along. And we're highlighting the mental obsession, physical allergy, the concept that can you do this by yourself? And do you want to do something about it? Because the first three steps are just a decision. They're just, there's no action. And I always say, like, imagine you drop, like Mike dropped to the ground. He's blue. We call 911. They get him to the hospital. They've got him, you know, his stats are okay. The ER docs are like, this guy needs to go into emergency surgery. Three of his four arteries are blocked off or whatever chambers. We're not going to be like, you know what, Mike, why don't you sit in the waiting room for 90 days and come every day to make sure that you're ready. We'll let you know when we think you're ready to be unblocked. And then if we feel like you're ready, we'll let you do the next, the next surgery. You're going to no, you're going to die. And that's how I approach new people if they want it. And I say to them, step three is a decision. It's like the top of the roller coaster. And if you decide you're ready to do this, we're going to do four through nine in about a week and a half. And then I'm going to show you how to do daily 10 and 11 while you're working on your nine step, because this is about unblocking what's blocking us. So we don't stick around waiting for this. People are uncomfortable with this concept. I have no issue that they're uncomfortable. I don't argue with them. I just say, okay, cool. This is the only thing that made me not die. I think if, if we believe that the book is the basic text for recovery at the bottom of page 63, right after we do the third step, the very next line is next to be launched out into a course of vigorous action. The first step of which is a personal house cleaning. So if we're following directions, keep, keep reading that part right now, because I need you to. Go okay. To so the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted, obviously. Right. <laughs> Though our decision was a vital and crucial step. So they're talking about step three, the third step. Right. Um, it could have little permanent effect unless at once circled, highlighted, and underlined, yeah. followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom. So we had to get down to causes and conditions, but it doesn't say wait around for a year, get to know who your it higher power is. It doesn't say first step, first year. It doesn't, and look, all those things are said by well-meaning people whose well-meaning sponsors told them that. And the problem is 
and this is a little bit controversial, but I'm okay with that, that everyone in Alcoholics Anonymous is a member if they want to be a member. All are welcome. Zero judgment. You can come every single day and reintroduce ourselves. I don't even care. If you want what they say in this book, the promises, if you want to become recovered, not have a mental obsession that's running your life, not physically need alcohol, the only solution that this book has to offer is the 12 steps. That's our program. And so if that be the case, we only know how to do this one way. And that's immediately at once. They only tell us to pause one time. And that's after step five, before step six. And that's for an hour. And while we're pausing, we have to do work. So I don't know about you, but if God forbid, one of my family members was rushed to the ER, I would not want the ER doc to tell me that they're going to die if they don't do the work. And then me make a decision. I'd like them to sit in the waiting room for 90 days or a year death, right? I mean, I get excited about this. Anybody else before we keep going? <laughs> I love it. Lee, you want to pick up? This painful path. This painful path may be of infinite value to other families still stru uh, struggling with their problems. We think each family which has been relieved owes something to those who have not. And when the occasion requires, each member of it should be only too willing to bring former mistakes, no matter how grievous, out of their hiding places. Will you pause for a second? So I wrote on the side, need to use what we've been through to help others. And- because I'm not anonymous and I talk openly about what this program has done for me, I have so many opportunities to do this. Oftentimes a family member will say, or a friend, please reach out to so-and-so. And I explain to them that that's not really something I'm comfortable doing because I was told that the person needs to reach out to me to show that they're willing. And then once they do that, I will go to hell, you know, back, hell and back with them. And so I normally pass on my number and say, tell them to call me or text me anytime. This one case, it wasn't an alcoholic. So I felt differently. It was a mother of an alcoholic and she needed to know what to do. And I, my solution was you need to go get help at Alan on her family's anonymous. But I shared with her the truth. And I said, look, this is a deadly disease. And if your daughter continues on the path she's on, it's very possible that you will be burying her. And what we're taught here is not to sugarcoat things and tell people it's going to be okay. But I gave her the tools and my suggestions of where she should go to get the help she needs since she's powerless. But the reality is we are going to, and I know this is a sensitive subject, and I have three children and trust me, I think about it all the time. We are going to face terrifying situations with people we love. And we know the reality is the only way you can make this work is if you do the work. Absolutely. It's a lot. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, before we pick up again, I, I really, I, I want to, I have something written in the, in the margin of my book and I only Please. have it written there. I, I have the only reason I have it written there is because Lee had it written in hers and she read it to me when we were reading together. Lee, would you share that what's written in, in the margin of your book? I literally just told Mike he had to talk next and then he made me talk next. <laughs> I love him. I just have written in here. Your bottom is where what you just lost or what you're about to lose is more important than alcohol or drugs. I love that. And you get to decide that because mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't have to be anything other than I can't do this anymore. And I know because I've buried people I love whose names were in my phone, who were sober, who were doing the work and stopped doing the work. And it's terrifying to watch. But what we get to do as people who are recovered is we get to say, look, this is what we do. This is how we do it. Come with us. I will not let you, I will not let your hand go. And that is beautiful. So keep going. We're at showing. Sorry, I keep muting because I don't want to have too much background. Noise. Okay. So where are we? Showing, showing others. others. Showing others who suffer. This is the part that makes me cry. Oh, I love that. Underlined and starred. 
Showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing which makes life seem so worthwhile to us now. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. I mean, and just how- Why does this make you so emotional? Because I wanted to kill myself because my life was such a waste. I mean, I grew up in relative privilege, you know, and I threw it away. I threw it away because I was uncomfortable in my own skin and I didn't know how my life was unmanageable out of the birth canal. And when drugs and alcohol showed up in my life, it became the lifeline that I clung to. And I hadn't experienced life in full on HD like I do today. I I threw it away. I wasted so much time. I wasted the opportunity to raise my son as a sober mom. He, He turned 18, 29 days after I got sober. How do you reconcile that? You know what you do? So my mom and dad got sober. I was 13, but my brother was 17, almost exactly like yours. So my brother literally left the house the year my parents got sober. He left the year of their first sobriety, right? The first year of their sobriety. And what we do, what my parents have done that I've seen them do is they show up now. You know, they make that verbal amends and then they live it and they show up now. My parents are the best grandparents and parents. And my, my parents' grandchildren will never, ever, ever have to know that alcoholic mother or father that I knew because they have become a different human. And the promise I can offer you from this page as someone who's farther ahead in terms of the family growth and recovery, if you do your daily work, so every time you don't wanna do an inventory, every time you don't wanna meditate, every time you don't wanna do one of the things that you get to do, you are ensuring a relationship with your grandchildren that are not even born. You, or maybe they are, you know, you are ensuring trust and respect from your son at a totally different level. And I don't even like to talk to my parents about what my childhood was like, because it was like, I was living with different people. And now I'm living like my family are them. And I'm telling them about, it's just totally changed. And our family has recovered and it's not easy and it's not perfect by any means, but it is real. Love that. Yeah. Mike, I talk to us about, um, because we're, we're talking about taking the dark past and using it as an asset. And you and I share the fact that our children um, might possibly belong in the rooms. So yeah. how how do you use you know your experience to be a, a beacon of light and hope? Well, yeah. I mean, if there's somebody listening in the same position that uh, that we're in, I mean, just first know that we you can't get anybody else sober. They're on their own path, and they've got to they've got to reach their own conclusions about whether or not they they have this thing. And and just because I have it doesn't mean that my children automatically have it. I mean, it's a good chance, but, um, but I know today that um, all I can do is set a good example. And, and that goes right back to, you know, my experience being so valuable. You know, one other thing that, that came to me is, you know, this passage came to me only after I had uh, begun to sponsor other men. And I was walking one, one person through the steps and we had reached the fifth step and he was sharing his fourth with me. And, you know, we, we reached the end of his inventory and I asked him the question, is there anything you've left off? And he thought long and hard. And, you know, we, we embarked on the next step where he would take an hour and, and contemplate and think about these things. And he came back to me before that hour was up and he shared something with me. <clears throat> I get choked up. Mike, yeah, Mike yeah. yeah, I'm a crier. I love but, it. Um, <laughs> it just tends to be released. Yeah. But what he shared was something I kept to myself. It was, yeah, something so dark. And, you know, in that moment, I was able to say, 
oh my God, like God put us together so that you could tell me that. And that's the supreme value in life, right? So yeah, that's such a great example. We don't have to be, it doesn't have to come from someone ahead of us. It can come from someone that we're taking through. And if we're open to hearing it and being honest and like what Lee said originally, me too, you know, there's nothing someone shared with me that I've been like, oh my God. I mean, if you stick around long enough, you're just going to keep hearing your story over and over again, or the, what my mother calls the yet you're entitled to. I haven't killed anyone with my car while drunk driving yet. Mm. It is, And that's why one of the things I make all the people I work with understand is that we can't text and drive because one of the living amends we have as drunk and high drivers is to not touch our phone while we're driving. Because how awful would it be if we got sober, didn't kill anyone with our car, and then killed them while we were texting? Yeah. Probably yeah. a sponsee, right? Like, <laughs> can you imagine how horrible that would be? I have a question for you guys because I'm behind you in this process in terms of children, and I'm 100% terrified about it. Whenever I think about it, I just come back to the place of there's nothing I can do about it right now. And God forbid, if they need this program, there will be men that can guide them through that are working the program. How deep into it are you with your children in terms of like do you discuss with them do they like are you at the place tell me a little bit about that without making anyone uncomfortable what you do and what you don't do because my mother did mm. not listen to the people in AA and I'm grateful because she yeah. constantly brought me the solution over and over and lived it because if my mom was not living it I would not have known where to go she was my lighthouse yeah well uh, so this is generational I watched my father get sober and I, I knew that it was possible to change your life because of what he did. Um, <clears throat> uh, so, but I've tried it both ways. I've tried only setting an example and not talking directly to my, to my children about it. And, you know, for me, that didn't, uh, that didn't work. So I began to more, um, I won't say aggressively, but, but um, well, I, I guess it is more aggressively. I began to, you know, propose that this might be a thing for them and that there are solutions and, you know, maybe go to a meeting, check this thing out. If you think you have this, if you think you might have the same thing that I do, the only solution that worked for me is this. And um, that's worked, worked well. They've, uh, both of my kids have, um, have been to meetings um, and uh, one continues to go. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I can only sit back. I've been to meetings with both of them and, you know, somewhere deep inside me, I want to guide them through this process because I want them to have, I want them so desperately to have what I've gotten, but I can't do that. So you can't give it to them. Number one, there is a program for this. Yeah. It's called Al-Anon. Yeah. And, uh, I have a helpful. question because I always get help, um, questions from parents. Is Al-Anon the best place to go when you, you have children or is there a Families Anonymous? Because my mom went to Families Anonymous, but that was 22 years ago. And when I was looking for online options, I could not find a lot for Families Anonymous. Yeah, I have no experience with Families Anonymous, so I, I really you go can't to speak Al -Anon. to that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you go to Al-Anon too, Lee? I do, and I sponsor women in the program, so I'm very active in Al-Anon, and I believe so you're in a double it. winner. You guys are both double winners. Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably a quadruple winner, but yeah. That's so good to know <laughs> because I always need to know where to send people to because one of the most important parts about knowing what we're capable of is knowing what we're not capable of, and that's why I always guide people. You need to go get help. You need to introduce yourself and say you're new in Al-Anon. So Al-Anon is great for people who have children, like teenagers or 20 something. That's a good Absolutely. place. Or anybody, you know, Al-Anon's great for people that don't have anybody in their lives. We are our own I know. alcoholics in our lives, you know? <laughs> right. And so Al-Anon is just a great program to learn how to detach with love from other people, places and things. And so we don't have any control over whether our kids use or drink. 
we can set an example. Um, both of our kids um, saw what it was like, saw what happened and see what it's like now. And that's one of the beauties of this equity that we have today. Like, I wish I, I had been a sober mom the whole time, but the fact that I'm, I wasn't is actually a, a gift because my son saw how bad it was. I love and it. Now he sees that. how good it is. And, you know, Mike and I've talked about this before. Who are we to rob our children of the journey and the path to recovery or to God or to whatever you want to call it, you know, that we have had. So they're going to do what they're going to do. And it's our job to be good examples. And it's our job to be there, be open, be willing to listen, be non-judgmental, but also tell the truth as honestly and openly as we can. And, you know, that this, they have a higher power and guess who it isn't? Not us. It's not me. So and, I have a question. Um, do, do either of you have the children that are struggling living in the home that you're in? Yes. Yes. Mike does. Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. You do not. Yeah. No, my son's married. He's moved away. He's um, yeah. So it's, it's not daily in your face, but Mike's is more. So Mike, I have a quick question just since we're talking about families that are still struggling and we're helping them with our past from Al-Anon and from what you've gone through and learned and, and doesn't work and does work. Do you impose any consequences or structure to help them? Because when my parents, so my parents were seven years sober when I got sober and when they try, we've since talked about it. When they try to impose anything on me, I was like, who do you think you are to <laughs> finally start being my parent? I've been by myself, parenting myself my whole life. And now you want to step in because I was 13 when they got sober. But then for the first three or four years, they were like Mr. and Mrs. AA went to a hundred meetings, you know? And so when I was like 17, they're like, what's your curfew? And I was like, I don't have a curfew. And so I'm wondering how does that work for you? Because I don't know how you do this. Like, do you give them structure so they don't kill themselves while they're living in your home? Yeah. Yeah. Well, number one, you know, as, as a homeowner with someone living with me, an adult person living with me, I have the right to impose restrictions. And one of those restrictions is I, I will not be exposed to uh, irresponsible behavior, especially as it, as it pertains to, uh, drugs and alcohol, I'm not going to have it. And that's, that's, that's regardless of whether the person involved is an alcoholic or an addict, if they think they are or not, I'm not going to expose myself to that. So that's the first restriction. The second is, you know, I, if I know, and if this person admits that they have an issue, then I'm not going to stand by, I'm not going to stand by and let them, you know, just, just be reckless about it. So, uh, so there are there are consequences when you know irresponsible behavior happens, and I'm not a draconian parent. I'm not that that you know overarching you know imposing all sorts of consequences. I'm not like that, but but I do set guidelines, and um, and that's just to to maintain sanity in the home. And I think that's just the responsible thing to do, whether you're an alcoholic or not. I just want you guys to know, as someone who was in the position that your children are, and who's now 22 years sober. And my mom and dad are sober and my grandmother who's 87 is sober and my children get to grow up. I have three children who should not be alive, but because of Alcoholics Anonymous, they are. And because of Alcoholics Anonymous and because of them every single day, I will just like you work my ass off. So they never have to know that life ever is you have exactly what we just read. And we're going to close with about that your darkest past is the key to life and happiness for your children and anyone around them because they have a light, which is you. And if you don't do your work, your lighthouse cannot be found while they're in the dark lost. And that is the responsibility and privilege that you guys have. Do you have any last thoughts? Beautifully said. Yeah, I think, I think we've said it all.
I'm so grateful for you guys. Lee, anything else? No, just what a blessing it is to be sober today. Um, what a blessing it is to know you, Carly, and for Mike and I to have this opportunity to get to share on your show. And um, I'm just grateful to be to be sober. I mean, we wouldn't have these amazing experiences. You know, the opportunity we have to do a podcast to share the message of hope and recovery through the daily reflection. I mean, it's something we wouldn't get to do if we were drinking and we get to meet so many wonderful people like you. And it's just, I am, I would have sold myself short if I'd planned this life out. So for everybody listening, um, just stick with this thing one day at a time and your life Thank is you going to be amazing. So much. I have a feeling we're going to be together for the rest of our lives because we totally are in the same world and boat and frequency. And I'm so grateful. I love it. Thank you so <laughs> love much. It. Thank you for listening to the North Star Big Book Podcast. A few announcements. We have a home group on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, and we would love to have you there. The information for Zoom is always going to be in the episode notes. I have a new podcast called Must Love Self geared towards women who are sick of not loving their bodies, not recognizing their worth or using their voice. New episodes will be released Mondays. The first one is going to be my mother. And I already have 52 brave women who are willing to step up to the virtual microphone. If you're interested, please go on my page, carlyisrael.com, and you can register and I will invite you to participate. If you would like to be a guest on North Star Big Book and share some of your favorite pages or excerpts from the big book, please reach out also at carlyisrael.com and I would be happy to have you on. I hope you have an awesome day and if you need help, please reach out.